Well, Justin, I feel like Britney Spears wearing this thing. Um, I promise I'm not going to sing, though. You're okay. I'm going to sit because that's how I work. Um, I'm definitely less of a preaching kind of person and more of a one-on-one conversation. And today, I want to talk about some difficult things, so I want it to feel more like a one-on-one conversation. Um, So before I begin, as Justin said, um, I went to Duke Divinity. I'm sorry. Um, That's what kind of brought uh, my husband and I to this area. And um, while I was there, I wasn't studying to be a pastor necessarily. Um, I was in a program that was more kind of academically focused, and it was kind of meant to be a bridge to PhD. Um, And so while I was there, I was studying, and I wanted to do a lot of, like, New Testament kind of stuff and to research and write and teach was the idea. Um, But in my time there, I had the opportunity to take a lot of um, classes with those who were more in the ministry track, um, that um, were geared towards those who were going to become pastors. And in the two years I was there, by the end of it, one thing I knew for sure, um, one is that I didn't think I really liked um, academia. It wasn't for me. And the other thing I knew is I had grown closer to God in those ministry-related classes than in my entire life thus far. So... I was kind of confused, like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do with this guy? This was not the plan. Um, And some friends of mine from the Divinity School told me about, um, they were doing this program for, um, it's kind of like a training, like a residency program, if you will, um, at um, the hospital for chaplaincy. And I was like, yeah, no way. Um, Death freaks me out. I'm not going to do that. And then I did that. So (laughs) this... um, Last year, I was in um, this residency program at UNC Hospital um, in chaplaincy. And specifically, though I got experience kind of everywhere, specifically my kind of area that I was mostly in was pediatrics. Um, So I had came to a point where I had like this academic training and this like study of scripture And then I had, on this other side, this real experience of God and people and where God was in broken people's lives and in tragedy. Um, And so today, as I'm up here, um, I kind of want to share a little bit of how those two things intersect for me. Um, And we'll see how it goes. Um, (laughs) So specifically... um, I want to bring forth some of the work that I did um, at the end of my time at Duke. Um, I wrote a thesis, um, just so fancy. Um, It was a thesis on Mark's gospel, um, and it was specifically on healing in Mark's gospel. And so today I kind of want to bring a little bit of what I I argued there and um, bring that with um, a personal story, which I will call my worst day as a hospital chaplain. (laughs) So we'll see how it goes. Um, so I'll begin first with, so my, my thesis was on all of Mark, but today I'm going to read for you kind of a passage that I think really captures a lot of what I was talking about in it. Um, and this is from Mark 5. Um, this story is split into two parts. So I'll start. The first section is Mark 21 through 24, and it should be up on the screen. Yes? Okay. So if you'll read with me. 
Um, when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with them. Now, <clears throat> on the way there, um, we see that um, there's another kind of, he's interrupted. He's walking with all these guys to, to this guy's house. Um, and um, this woman, who you probably have heard the story, was bleeding for 12 years. Um, she's in desperate need of healing, and Jesus is her last chance. Um, reaches out and touches his cloak and is healed. And he addresses her that this was done and says, your faith has healed you. And then the story that we are originally in picks up um, in chapter 35. It says, while he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, come, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement, and he strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So that's our scripture, um, which um, I'm going to now pair with this story. Um, before I say this, I'll say this is kind of, might be hard for some people to hear, um, and so um, I'm going to open with prayer first um, and kind of ask God to guide me in this. God of mystery and depth, Lord, fill this space. And Lord, as we are gearing our hearts towards difficult things, God, we pray that your presence will grow closer and closer to us in this time, God. Lord, that your peace and your grace will surround us, Lord, and that you will tend with care my words, Lord, so that yours may be heard. Pray this in your holy name. Amen. So, um, so as a chaplain, one of the units in the hospital that I had to cover was the pediatric intensive care unit, which is kind of as depressing as it sounds. Um, it ranged from like normal things, like if a kid was having surgery, then they would be there for recovery and then they'd move on. Um, it could be long-term chronic kids that have a lot of needs that end up there, um, or kids from traumas, car accidents, and just all sorts of um, not fun things. And um, a lot of kids died there. So it was a tough unit, and on this particular day, I normally had another full-time staff chaplain who was my mentor and helper and saint um, in this process with me covering, but on this particular day, she wasn't there, and it was just me. Um, and we had a kid come in, um, 15 months old, and um, he had had a cardiac event at home, and so he was now in critical care 
and they were doing everything they could for him. He was coding, which means they were doing CPR, um, trying to keep his heart going. Um, I'd like to say it's the only time that happened. It's not. Um, but this one, this day was different. Um, so I met his mom and dad outside the room and um, began talking with them. They're in shock and weeping and just so upset. And I get to hear a little bit of his backstory as we're, as we're talking together. And they tell me um, that he was um, actually born very prematurely. So he had been at this hospital before for a long stay where he almost didn't make it as it was. Um, but had got to go home. Um, now, go home, he was far from, like, a normal baby. Um, he had um, a tracheostomy, um, which helped, and he was on a ventilator to help him breathe. Um, and, yeah, just had, like, all sorts of things. But had been at home, even though he required, like, round-the-clock nursing care, had been thriving pretty well at home, and his parents loved him and poured so much in him and were so happy to have him there. Um, they shared with me that um, when he was in the NICU, which is the neonatal intensive care unit, when he was before he had come here, uh, again, he um, when he ha they didn't think he was going to make it. Um, his his mom and dad were trying to decide what to do. Um, they were really struggling, and they had this random visiting priest come to them and prophesy over him and say that, you know, that he was going to he was going to survive, and he was going to do amazing things for the kingdom, and they held on to that promise, and they had their church family and other church families and everyone praying and praying over him, and then eventually, yes, he got better, and he went home, and so they have this amazing story, um, and now this happens, <laughs> and they're there just broken, like, how can this be happening? Everything was fine. We don't know what happened, and I'm with them, and I'm praying with them, and um, I'm looking and watching in the room as the t medical team's working on him, and I see the look on their faces, and, and I know, like, I see it, and I know this is not going well. This is not going well, and they're looking at me like, all right, that has the doctor look that's like, okay, chaplain, we need you to, like, talk to this family and, and get them to a place of maybe more accepting that he's going to die. Um, but I'm here with these parents, and they're crying, and they're telling me all this, and something just takes over me, and I'm like, no. And so they're praying, like, God, please heal him. God, make him well. God, uh, save him. Do something. God, be here. And I'm right with them. I'm like, yes, God, please, please. And so for hours we're praying, and it like, it's like, looks like it's coming forward, and then it's not, and it's forward and back, forward and back. Um, and I'm just pouring into it with them. Um, and then eventually it did happen that um, they, their efforts weren't worth any more. They were doing more harm than good. And um, so they made the call, and Mom held him as he died. And um, it, was, it was sad. And I was with the family for a, an hour or so after that, too, just kind of helping them process. Well, that was like at the end of the day. And so I go home uh, right after this, um, and I get on the bus. And I was, I remember um, being on the bus riding to the park and ride lot, and I just couldn't, like the tears were just coming. I couldn't, I couldn't help it. I was just so shaken by this event. Um, and then I get in the car, and I'm driving home with my husband, and 
I, it just came out. I just couldn't even hold it in any longer. And I just start crying, God, like, what, what is this? Like, is it me? Is it, is it my faith? Like, do I not believe enough? Is that why this keeps happening? Like, um, am I the wrong person to do this? I shouldn't be a chaplain. This is, you know, all these things I'm going on and on and on. And, um, that was probably about in the middle of my residency year, but I look back at that and, and that was a really dark time and a dark space for me. Okay, so, <laughs> bring y'all back in. So, returning to the scripture I read earlier, um, we see that that scripture also has a sick child and a notably different outcome. And so, what I kind of want to look at today is how that scripture and the story I just shared both speak God's truth to us. Um, and this is something I've had to wrestle with a lot. Okay, so first, I want you to know and hear me when I say this, that those things I said in my sorrow and my distress, that I believe that something was wrong with me, with my faith, and with my prayers, that those are lies. Our faith in Jesus absolutely matters when we are praying for something, for healing, for help, for guidance, yes. And this chapter in Mark really shows that, and so do several other passages of Scripture. They talk about how faith brings about miracles. However, it does not say that if a miracle does not happen, our faith is to blame. I'll note, though, for those of you who are reading ahead or know this, um, in the next chapter, we find Jesus, um, right after this, goes into his hometown, and people there don't really, like, they're like, hey, who's this kid? He grew up here. He's not anything special. And it says that Jesus isn't able to perform um, as many miracles because of their lack of faith. Um, this refers to complete lack of faith in who Jesus is, not in how much faith, or enough faith. And I think that's an important distinction because scripture tells us that even an ounce of faith, right, a mustard seed, is enough, is incredibly powerful and enough in the kingdom. Furthermore, and this is what I hope to show you, um, is that this passage of scripture and indeed all the healing stories in Mark's gospel are not so much about us and our faith as they are about Jesus and his power. So this brings me to my thesis, which um, I went back and read in preparation for this sermon, and I will tell you I almost fell asleep reading it. So I'm going to try real hard not to put you to sleep here. <laughs> tells you tells you how great a writer I was. Um, so my thesis focused on this one Greek word that Mark uses, and that is sozo. Um, this word means to heal or to save. Um, so in a lot of Greek texts, it's typically translated as like a physical healing or a saving from an immediate danger. And that's how Mark seems to be using it um, in these healing narratives. In the one I just read, um, it says, you know, you are healed and thereby saved from your ailment. Like that would be an appropriate way to translate that. Um, but as Mark's gospel goes on, and this is what I show in my thesis, is we start to see this word used in a way that doesn't match that traditional meaning. Um, a good example of this, and probably the best, is in Mark 8.35, and this might sound familiar to you guys. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. 
So if we look at this um, passage and we think about it on like basic logic, we're like, all right, to lose one's life is not to save it, at least not in a physical sense, so what's up? Well, of course, reading it from our Christian perspective and kind of having the whole story, we know that this isn't talking about just like a, a physical kind of saving, that this is pointing towards something else, something that goes beyond, something that Jesus came to bring. And so this is kind of the, the sum of my thesis, if you will, um, is that um, Mark is intentionally using this word, so zo, in the healing narratives um, as both to heal and to save. And then later in the gospel, he's using it, um, using the same verb to describe some kind of future eschatological idea of salvation. And um, this is intentional because he could have used other more common words for healing in Greek, but he doesn't. So why? And why does this matter? Well, I think um, this is kind of answered when we look at what do the healing narratives do in Jesus's ministry? What purpose do they play? And what I argue, and and what you can really see even in this gospel, is that um, this is all about who Jesus is. They're pointing out who he is. He's not just a healer, that he's a savior. He's the Messiah. And that route to save really points us towards that. And I believe that that important identity is the point and the focus for the gospel writer. And further evidence can be seen in the story I read. Um, This girl, the daughter of Jairus, right? She's raised from the dead. Okay, maybe she's sleeping, but the point is the same. We don't know what Jesus meant by that. Um, But Jesus' command to her to raise uses the same root that's later used in the gospel when describing Jesus' own rising from the dead. Indeed, if you read all of chapter 5, which includes two other important healing narratives in addition to this one, you see that this whole chapter is about who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to do. He's going to be resurrected. So, so far, um, kind of what I've shown you and and what I'm hoping you're going to kind of draw out of this lengthy thesis that maybe you don't understand um, anything I'm saying, and that's fine, um, is that this, there's this connection in this word between physical healing and salvation. Um, and that connection is really pointing towards the bigger part of who Jesus is. He's not some traveling healer, right? Um, and it's also kind of foreshadowing what Jesus is going to do. He's going to be resurrected. Okay, so what? I don't know where you are on your faith journey or what you're going through right now. This series is called um, Intro to a Journey. Um, and for some of you, you're at the beginning. Some of you, you're not. Um, but either way, um, I think that you all have probably experienced some kind of of moment of, of questioning kind of... Um, what God's doing or what's going on or experiencing some kind of suffering. Um, Maybe since receiving Christ, every day of your life has been a struggle, and you're wondering when God will finally answer your prayers. Or maybe you've prayed desperately for someone you love to be healed, and you didn't see that happen. 
The truth is we all encounter suffering in our lifetimes and believing in Jesus doesn't protect us from that. Instead, it challenges us to enter into it willingly, right? Whoever will lose their life for my sake and the sake of the gospel will save it. And we, like the community of believers for whom this gospel is written, we don't just receive these stories in isolation, right? We have the whole story in mind. And we know that Jesus himself, before he experienced the resurrection and the restoration of life, had to suffer and die. Further, we believe that resurrection power is at work in our lives right now. Sometimes we see it happen. And sometimes we have to wait for it, even unto death. But Jesus' promise of resurrection to us remains the same. So here's our takeaway, or at least what I hope you're going to take away from this. Um, and I also want to just take a moment to say um, this is, there's a lot here, and there, I could talk for days on this stuff, and um, I, I'm here for that, um, honestly. Um, and if you're going through something that you need someone to talk with about it, please come see me. We'll have coffee. Happy to do so. Um, I'm the weird person that likes to talk about this stuff. Okay, so first, the promise of resurrection is our hope. And it's not just about heaven. Jesus heals, and God intends for healing completely. That's what the kingdom is about and in these healing narratives, we get a glimpse of that. We get a glimpse of what is coming. We have this idea, um, and I don't know where it comes from, but that resurrection is something that just happens after we die. But it's not. The work of Christ throughout the Gospels show us that resurrection is at work and touches the lives of all who encounter Jesus. Your faith has saved you. That line that he says to many and in the healing narratives, I think is more significant than the healing itself. Third, um, we know that we can see that sozo, that link between the physical healing and the spiritual salvation, it shows us that from early on, the church believed that Jesus's promise of life included our world now, not just heaven. Well, what does this look like? Honestly, I don't know. <laughs> All I can say is that I've seen peace and grace and the goodness of God surround and heal people in powerful ways, even while their physical bodies were failing them. And so, when we face moments of unanswered prayers, as I did many times working in the hospital, we can still have hope in Christ. The promise of resurrection holds true even when our world is filled with death. So that's our challenge today, is to be able to hold that hard truth. And as Justin comes up, he's going to lead us in um, communion. And um, before he does so, um, I kind of want to share a little bit about what communion means to me. Um, so... When we think about communion, we think about this broken body um, and, and what it means to eat that, right? It's not just this, this beautiful kind of ceremony we're participating in. Um, when I think about it, when I take communion, I think about what am I really saying yes to here? 
I'm saying yes to Jesus' suffering and death, and I am taking it in. I am, and Jesus blesses that, right? He gives thanks. And then we eat it, like eating death. And that is not an easy thing. So I want to challenge you today as you come up and um, receive these elements. Just challenge you with that message um, and with that hard truth. Um, Yeah. As he's coming up, I'll just go ahead and close this in prayer. Holy God, Lord, sometimes this life is not easy. And you don't promise that it will be. Lord, but you promise that you are with us in it. That you have experienced it to its fullest, even to death, God. And Lord, as we are struggling and struggling to know where you are in our lives in dark moments, God, may you remind us that you are right there with us in them, God. And may your promise of resurrection fill our lives and touch all dark corners where we hide, God, that we may experience your life and your resurrection because the kingdom is coming and resurrection is coming. And we thank you for that. We pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.